Well, hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of The Fractured Brain. I'm your host, Jepabai, a.k.a. Jimmy P. Brown II, and this is the next saga in our interview series, and I'm very, very pleased to have uh, what I consider one of the uh, best singers in the uh, not only Christian metal realm, but just metal in general. And I'm super happy to have him here. He's a tireless supporter of um, the Christian metal scene. And we just uh, are very excited to have Mr. Luke Easter with us today. Luke, how are you, bud? I'm well, thank you, Jimmy. Those are very, very kind accolades that you just bestowed on me. Thank you. Oh, (laughs) I'm just telling the truth, bro. It's nice to have you on here. And uh, we're just excited. And, uh, you know, if you don't mind, we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. I've got you for an hour or so. And um, I'm sure folks, you know, everybody out there, you guys know Luke from his work, obviously, with Tourniquet. But I want to get to know Luke a little better than just, uh, you know, as one of the members of a band. I like to get to know the folks that I'm talking with. And uh, so we're going to we're going to go ahead and dive in, though, into a little bit of history um, so, Luke, obviously, we know you best from from Tourniquet. That is uh, something that uh, definitely uh, put you in the stratosphere out there, got your name well known. And uh, we know that you joined in the, what, 93, 94 era. And um, so tell us a little about what you've done before uh, Tourniquet and how you wound up in Tourniquet. Um, I hadn't really done much. I mean, uh, I've been singing all my life, went to private school and, you know, did the uh, chapel solos and that whole bit. Um, Played in a couple of really bad garage bands, uh, mostly playing bass. Uh, No kidding. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, I have world's worst bass player. It's the only only thing I'm worse at is, is, is guitar. Uh, But I did that for a while and uh, it just it made sense to me that I was either going to, uh, you know, be good enough or that I needed to cut my hair and go to school. Um, and so, uh, Brian Gray from, uh, the blamed, uh, he's also a, a Bay area boy like me. I'm from, uh, San yes. Francisco. Yes. Um, and our um, old bands had played together, uh, a few times. And so I knew him and he had gone on, he had, uh, toured with mortal and done some other things by that point. And he knew I was looking to, you know, make a jump and try and find an audition. And he suggested Tourniquet. And, oh. uh, yeah, uh, which I just thought was insane. Um, I didn't think of myself as a metal singer. I was, I wanted to be John Bon Jovi when I grew up. And, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. And somehow, you know, Brian convinced me to do it and put me in touch with Victor and uh, the rest is history. Wow. Wow, that is cool, man. That is cool. I see. I didn't. I didn't even know that part. Uh, I didn't even know Brian Gray's part in this. Yeah. That's, uh, so he's the one that actually got you the audition uh, to go in. It's, how, how did he find out about uh, Tourniquet needing a singer at that time? Um, I, I I knew they were looking for someone. Ninety uh, three was, was the first year that I went to the Nam show, and okay. the Pathogenic record had come out. I want to say end of end of 92 or very beginning of 93 but the, right. the record was out and uh i ran into gary at uh at the nam show and you know just mentioned so you know i heard i heard guy left so what are you gonna do all the vocals now and he you know laughed he said no we're looking for somebody we'll, we'll find somebody i'm like oh okay didn't give it a you know didn't give it a second thought so uh brian knew victor i mean brian knows everybody Yes, Brian. De- Brian was all over the place. That's for sure. <laughs> he's like he's the Z League of, of the Christian scene. Yeah, for uh, sure. But yeah, he was. You know, I was like, well, I was thinking about this or I was thinking about that. He's like, bro, you need to audition for Tourniquet. I'm like, I I don't have that voice. I I can't sing like like that. He's like, no, trust me. They, you, you could do this. You would be great. I'm like, well, you know, I, I figured if nothing else, I. I at least get some experience, you know, going through rejection. Sure. And, uh, sure. You know, it, it honestly, it's, it's the only band I've ever really auditioned for. I, I sent a tape and about two weeks later, I get a call from Victor 
And about a week after that, I was uh, down in LA uh, doing, you know, auditioning at a band rehearsal and drove home the next day and got a phone call when I got home and had to be back in LA a week later to rehearse and then hit the road. Wow. So that was it. It was just bam, boom, bam. Pretty much. I mean, part of it was time. I mean, they, the, the tour was booked. They had all the dates and they had a hard out. We have to be, you know, in Tulsa on this date. So we need somebody, but oh, wow. Um, wow. I'm remembering correctly. Um, I was like a last minute audition. They had a couple other people that they figured would work even if it wasn't long-term. And then they got my tape and we're like, well, you know, Let's give him a shot. And yeah, I got it. Oh, that's great. Man. I, I love hearing that story. I, I That's just stuff that you, you don't really hear. Um, and, you know, I mean, because number one, I'm sure the story is probably somewhere online. You just don't. Yeah, I, I rarely believe anything I read online. <laughs> uh, only, only because, uh, you know. I, I know what's said of me and sure. most, most of it's lies. And eh, there's some truth there though. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's super cool. So now how did it feel? Uh, Cause what, at that point uh, what tourniquet was uh, three albums in, right? Yeah. They had just released pathogenic and yeah. yeah, that was. So that now you're, you're coming into a group uh, that is uh you know tourniquet it, it's funny not musically speaking but but vocally uh had uh king da they had they had king diamond and uh and then every once in a while tom Araya from slayer mm -hmm. would pull in you know uh <laughs> that, totally. that's the way it sounded to me at least to my ears you know? i agree um and uh, you know, because because Gary had that Tom Mariah thing down, man, um, and uh, and there's no question that guy had uh, guy was King Diamond, you know, esque rather. Um, but I, and now I don't know much about their departure and all that other stuff. I I never uh, asked uh, nosy questions uh, of Ted or or anybody else. Uh, uh, Victor, obviously, longtime friend and. Uh, was uh you know he, you know people don't know that uh you know he roadied for us for deliverance for uh our first entire victory tour in 1990 and um and uh yeah he uh when when it's funny because you know we uh we loaded up with a bunch of cds before we left and um my my cd collection consisted of you know euro pop and and bowie and and uh you know I, I i mean i listened to anything and everything but metal and um but uh what was funny is uh, you know frontline had given us a bunch of cds you know every time we'd go to frontline i'm sure you did too yeah uh, you load would, up. you'd load up with a bunch of cds you know people's stuff and um Ooh, a new swirling eddies i'll take that exactly <laughs> exactly anything you know you just you know because you never knew what you were going to discover yeah and um I remember Stop the Bleeding had just come out and uh, we took that. And, you, you know, what was funny is we, we would actually put it on and kind of make fun of it. And um, I remember telling Ted that he was so insulted. And I told him I, did, I didn't mean anything by it. I just, I, I just told him it was it was Guy's voice, you know, that uh, especially the one, uh, the, the, I think the second track where he's doing the. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, ready or not, I think. <laughs> yeah, ready or not, yes. And uh, we would just be cracking up. And I knew it was very King Diamond-ish. And I, I wasn't a huge King Diamond fan either or Merciful of Fate. But, uh, but uh, Victor, I mean, especially would just, like, you know, join in on the making fun bit. And then, uh, you know, a year, year and a half later, he's in the band. I just started <laughs> laughing. I was like, that's oh, my funny. God, that's really strange. So, <laughs> Guy, uh, guy was, guy has a really specific sound, a very yes. distinct sound. Yeah, and he's really good at it. You know, yes. um, he's he's good at figuring out how to. You know, he's got a really cool, you know, more quiet low end sound, and he can go all the way up into that falsetto. And yeah, um, I mean, it, it's not my thing. Um, right. Even when I was just listening to the records, I mean. I, it, it, I, I liked it, but it, I, you know, I couldn't wait till Gary's parts came. 
but yes. it, it made it interesting and it, and it was very cool. So that, that's some of why, like when Brian was like, you could, you could totally do this. You should try and get that audition. You know, I, I don't, I, I have a falsetto. I don't have a falsetto like that. You know, and I, I can't sing like that. I mean, it was, it was a relief when I got to LA and said, you know, look, I can't do that. What do you guys want me to do? Right. And they that's like, what I was about to ask. Yeah. What, so what, how did you approach when it came to singing guys parts? Um, well, once I was there and we talked about it a little bit, they were like, no, 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 we don't, we don't want you to do that. You know, if you can't do that, that's fine. Um, just, you know, just make it your own, you know, do it how you would do it, but try and stay true to, to the, the song as much as possible. And so that's, that's basically, that's, that's a tough call. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I just sang it how it was comfortable to me. And I mean, there was some parts where, you know, uh, you know Ted or, or you know, Gary would say, oh, could you maybe, you know, do something like this? And then we'd run through it again and be like, okay, yeah, that works. Do it that way. And, you know, so I, I was kind of snarky when I first joined the band because I mean, I, there was no pictures of me. There was no anything. So, um, you know, I would, I would draw a, a box, you know, like that we had posters and there were, you know, it was of the, the OG lineup with, with guy. And so I would right. draw a box you know, around his, his face and like shade it in and then just right <laughs> underneath it photo not available and then sign it. Um, which in retrospect, you know, I mean, I was, I was 22, you know, so then it just seemed funny. Now I look, think about it. It's like, if guy ever saw that, he probably was a little bit, you know, irritated if not insulted which was never my intention uh, uh, and and that that's that's the exact i was about to say that it's it wasn't your intention to be insulting or no, or, or, no, was, or making fun it was just more of a trying to create my presence now it was purely acknowledging how ridiculous this was you know a month ago i i wasn't in a band and and now i'm on tour you know so yeah yeah, you know, and that's, it was, it was that's surreal. really fast too. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, you, you know Drew Fisher, right? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Drew was our road manager for yes. years. Yeah, and uh, you know, our first show was in in Bartlesville, you know, right outside of Tulsa. Oh, that's a great place. Yeah, yeah. at the warehouse over yep. at Bartlesville. Yeah, great yeah. place. So that's first show, and you know, it, it, if memory serves, it was packed, and we would open with the title track from Pathogenic. So. I didn't even come out till halfway through the first song. They're just right. being mic center stage. So, you know, we've, we've rehearsed, we've, we've talked about it all the way out on the drive, you know, from LA, you know, I know how it's all going to go and they start playing and I'm standing there in the wings and all of a sudden it like hits me. I, I really have to go out there. <laughs> you know? And Drew comes up, he's like, Hey, are you ready? I'm like, I, I don't know. He's like, yeah, your part's coming up, bro. I'm like, yeah, no, I know. He literally, he shoved me out for, oh, for, great. for the first show. And then after that, I mean, once I had the first one under my belt, I mean, it was it was like, you know, it was home. It's like anything else. I mean, you, you, you go do your day job, you go do whatever. It's your job, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was, that's it. I've, I've come to my role now. Yeah, it was like, oh, okay, Th this is how this works. And I mean, obviously, I, hopefully anyway, I shouldn't say obviously, hopefully I developed, you know, as a, as a performer and a front man, you know, over the years. Um, but, and, you know, and so, and there definitely was a learning curve. I mean, you're not going to go out and do Bon Jovi stuff at a metal show if you want to live. Sure, sure. Um, but, you know, it would it, it's when I, I truly realize that I'm I'm most at ease in my own skin if I am on stage with a band. Well, that's I, I think it worked, and obviously it did work because you were with Tourniquet for quite a while. So um, let's let's move into when you actually hit the studio for the first time. So now was this went went going into vanishing lessons right so right. we're looking we're looking at 94 now was this your first time in the in a studio recording yeah i mean i'd done you know garage stuff with you know friends or whatever but it was my sure. first time in an actual studio actually singing you know stuff right. that, that we're going to be keepers right uh, we did that record with jim Farachi and he uh he was nervous you know not about the other guys because you know they they already had a couple records down um but he was concerned 
that I might not be able to pull it off. Really? Well, he, and he, I mean, he's right. There's a lot of people that, you know, whether you're a guitar player or singer or whatever, there's a lot of people that, that can bring it live, but you put them in the studio and there's just, it's, it's just not quite there, you know? Hmm. Um, and, and he was concerned. He didn't want to be in a situation where he was having to, you know, kill himself to try and get, you know, a performance. Ah, to get so, the right take, sure. So it, it, it worked out. He wa- he wanted to try me out first, so we did a couple demos. And we did a lot of pre-production. Um, weekly, we would meet with him and go through the songs, and he would, you know, pick them apart and, uh, you know, play that part differently, play that halftime, play that, you know, cut time, play with, you know, whatever. Um, just to kind of get a feel for how it was going to go. And then he picked... Uh, I think it was three songs. Yeah, it was three songs. I think it was Drowning Machine, uh, Vanishing Lessons, and Drawn a Blind. I think there was one more, and I forget which one it was, but we went in and we did three songs. Uh, that was, was it the Green Room that was down in... Uh, 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 well, Fr- Frontline at that time owned two studios. Yeah, they had the Green Room and then Mixing Lab. But it was Mixing, mixing Lab. The green yeah. room was was Gene's house, right? That that became Gene's uh, in '94. Yes. Yeah, he, so it wasn't that. It. We we were uh, we were mixing lab. Um, so we went in there and and cranked out three songs in in like a weekend, uh, which the explanation given to me at the time was uh, the sales force for Frontline wanted to be able to show retail that that the record was going to be good and that the new guy was you know was going to work. Uh, um, yeah, I could see that. I could see the, that. Which I mean, that that wound up being part of it. Um, I wish I had one of those cassettes. They sent they sent cassettes out to retail and sent them out with all the sales reps. Um, I never got one of those. Now, whose uh, now whose idea was it to bring Farachi in? Um, I believe that it was uh, it was it was Gary and Ted together. They they had talked about a couple different people. Um, we, we loved Matoyer. I, I mean, I went on to do, you know, a, a bunch of records with Matoyer. But I think because everything was new, you know, the Black Album had blown up and everybody wanted to be Metallica. Yes. Um, they had gone, like, as as heavy as they could by the time they went to, uh, did the Pathogenic record. And now they have a, a different singer, uh, a different musical landscape, and all of these you know, different things that they wanted to, you know, check off the list, sonically speaking, musically speaking on the record, it made more sense to them to work with a different producer as well. I think, um, again, I wasn't, I I wasn't in on that much of that, you know, then, you know, I, I got more involved with, with those kind of discussions down the road, but. Well, I just remember uh, that I remembered Farachi from uh, like producing LA guns and stuff yep. like that. So poison. Uh, yeah. So it, it was kind of like, that's an interesting choice. But then when I, when I popped it, number one, I loved the, I loved the cover. I thought that was brilliant, but um, the, the whole Houdini poster thing, yep. but uh, I, I remember popping it in and, uh, and I can't remember who at Frontline, Tony Shore or Matt Duffy, one of those guys, you know, gave me the copy and said, you know, you've really got to give this a chance, listen to it. And, uh, you know, they knew I was all about change. And they said, this is a, an album of change for them. And I said, OK, so I, I remember popping it in and saying, wow, there's a bluesy influence here. And uh, I hadn't heard you yet. I hadn't seen you guys live. And if we had played shows together, uh, you know, usually when you guys played, it was either before or after. And, you know, I'm either in, in my dressing room trying to get in the zone or or if it's after, then, then I'm signing autographs and doing yep. all of that or whatever. You know, you know how it goes. Um, very rarely do you get to see and enjoy the bands that you're playing with. Um, so but I heard you on that and I and I was like, oh, yeah. Now this is this is where it's going. This is this is a good vibe, and uh, immediately liked your voice. So that's kind of funny that uh, to hear that uh, Farachi was was a little worried about that. Um, well, he, but- he hadn't seen us live, um, 
you know, he just knew that I was a new guy and that I had never done a record before. So I think he was just a little bit nervous. But I mean, once once we got to the end of the first day doing that, that uh, demo, um, he was he was all in. And one of the best compliments I've ever gotten, actually, from a producer was Jim at the end of the Vanishing Lessons uh, sessions telling me he wished he could bottle whatever it is that I had. Um, oh, that's great. Being, I don't understand when I hear horror stories about, you know, anyone, but especially singers uh, being difficult because I was just happy to be there. I mean, that, that was, <laughs> that was all I'd wanted to do since I was, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old. And, sure. and I'm finally getting to do it and I'm getting to do it. You know, we, we recorded that record at Rumbo Recorders so we're in one room, Firehouse is in the next room, and uh, Mike Klink was working with, uh, I think they were called My Little Fun House, uh-huh. uh, or Mother's Little Fun House, something like that. But um, all the guns, the Slash was in there one day, Axel was in and out, you know, at all hours. Uh, I, I had to help Sorum put a, a cover on his Porsche in the parking lot because he was too messed up to figure out how to put a car Oh, that's cover hilarious. So, I mean, I'm just like... I'm in heaven, you know. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it was. I think it was really just, you know, I want to make sure that that this kid is, you know, not going to be a hassle. So. Right, right. Well, now you, you, you obviously proved yourself. You did a great record. People definitely got a good taste of what you were doing. And I don't know, did you did you tour Vanishing Lessons? We did. Uh, okay. We actually, we were out playing. Uh, we did Cornerstone before the record even came out. That was our, our one main stage uh, appearance at Cornerstone. Um, and we'd gotten pre-release copies because that you know, was July and the record didn't drop until September. Oh, wow. Wow. So, so by the time we, by the time the record came home, we were already home. Or after wow. it came out, we were already home. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. So now... I know there was a few years of break, so and, and then then you guys came back with Crawl to China, which was another departure. Um, and I, I don't was this uh, produced by Bill Matoyer, or yes, did you guys was, stick with Farachi? No, that was Matoyer. So Farachi, we did Vanishing Lessons, and then we quickly followed that up with an EP called Carry the Wounded, and then right. did uh, Collected Works, which was you know like a like a best of. Yeah, I was going to say greatest hits, but did we really have any hits? Um, it, but yeah, it was a best of, and then we had two new songs on there. And um, Bill did, did Bill do collecting? I'm drawing a blank now. I can't remember if it was Bill or if it was Jim that did collected. I just remember being out of my mind because Marty Friedman <laughs> was in there with us. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, yeah. So, the, and and then you know there was internal stuff and the big reshuffling, and it was suddenly down to just the three of us, uh, Ted and Aaron and me, and we right. did crawl to China. Right. Now, what had happened there? Because because it was like like you said, and then like the old saying, right? And then there were three. <laughs> so, yeah. You, you, what exactly had happened at that point? There was just tension internally um i'm I'm hesitant to say too much because so just band stuff yeah just band stuff stuff and and it came to a head and we parted ways with with gary um victor had left in 96 um mendez had left at the end of the uh the pathogenic tour right um i mean his, his he didn't even officially quit the band i I drove him home from the tour. I was heading back up to the Bay Area, and he lived in uh, Ventura. And I was driving him up, and we're almost home. And he's like, "Yeah, that's the that's the last time I'm going to play with Tourniquet." I'm like, "What do you mean? Don't we have like we're, we're supposed to do more stuff?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm I'm not playing with those guys again." I'm like, "Oh, okay." And then I didn't see him again for like four years. Wow, that's strange. Um, and and Eric would have to comment on that. I, I don't I don't know all of the, the well. Well, getting into crawl, were were you happy with with the change of direction continuing and things going in in the in the vein that they were? I was. I mean, I, I don't. I like when there's continuity. I like when you know you you can put on a band's records or an artist's records and and know that it's them, right? 
I hate when you put on somebody's new record and it sounds exactly like the previous record. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. Um, so to me, it, it you know, obviously Ted by that point was writing uh, the bulk of the material, but you know, Aaron and I had had our stuff on there as well. Um, it if if it was good enough to pass muster and make it onto the record, then then let's just do it. But let's make sure that we're not you know doing the same thing over and over. So right. you know, like by the time they did Pathogenic, that was the heaviest they could go. So they pulled back, and we do a more you know hard rock record, and then did you know. Uh, an even you know slightly lighter record with uh the carry the wounded ep right and then put two like brutally heavy songs on collected works and then suddenly it's the late 90s and you know grunge was big and, and everything shifted i mean we had signed with uh with rugged with uh mike and monica betts for for crawl and then the dub awards happened and all of the usual winners didn't win. And suddenly, you know, DC Talk, you know, is dominating with Jesus Freak and just, you know, it's right. a completely different landscape. And so all of the bigger labels in Nashville were like, we need rock bands and we need them now. Right. So we wound up, uh, uh, Diadem Benson bought our, our contract. And so suddenly, you know, we're basically on a major label. So when uh, when was this? Now was this? That uh, was that was late '96. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so, so then, so then that's, what, to, that's what that's, that's what that's what spawned uh, that's what spawned Crawl to China. Yeah. So that was kind of the the landscape. So um, it, it it wasn't. There's two schools of thought out there that I hear from people. They either think it was super contrived and that we were trying to, you know, make more of a grunge record, which was not the case. No, not at all. <laughs> and there's other the other end of the spectrum is people that that think that we were strong armed into doing that record by the label. And neither one of those is is true. That that was the record that we wanted to make at that time. Um and it you know, it I think as time has gone on that that record has finally gotten its due. It did throw people for a loop when it came out. It did. Um, yeah. The label certainly had no idea what to do with us. Um, and the timing was bad. I mean, right when we were putting out that record, uh, EMI bought them and everybody that had been working it was gone. Uh, and we were label mates with Bob Carlisle and Butterfly Kisses blew up. Yeah. So yes. that was the end of that. It was, you know, everything was Bob, which, which is great. I mean, Bob's a killer singer. Um, but like all of this, you know, success that we'd anticipated and, and not been promised, but, you know, everybody's like, you know, this record's going to be, you know, big. It's going to be this, be that. And, and suddenly, you know, it was, it was like a perfect storm. There was the Bob Carlisle thing, there was the EMI thing, uh, the big UPS strike was that year. So, when the when release date came, nobody could find the record because UPS was not moving, you know, product yeah. across the country. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we you know just did what we always did went out and played shows. And, you know, it it was the best a strange. Could, but I think it was know. a strange time for for Christian music. If you were in a metal band, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, and it's like you said, you know, because you know now the younger kid, kid bands were coming, you know, with the 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 either the hip hop, you know, Limp Bizkit yep. thing, uh, or you know, like with POD and all that, or or you were a tooth and nail band, and you know the the, the trendy punk yep. thing, uh, but but which there were know, some really great bands in, in there sure in were those there, scenes as well, but but there yeah, sure was, were. You know, but, some of but, it we were less kind of like, well, we're tourniquet, we'll just keep doing this. You know, yeah, and there, and there you was have, an element of like, wow, this is different now. And I think you have to take that, you have to take that that road, and say, well, we just do what we do and and move forward. And then at that point, I think that's when you guys moved over to Metal Blade, and and then Microscopic View came out a few yeah. years later, correct? Yeah. Well, yeah. We so our deal with with you know. Benson uh, had, you know, well, like any deal, it had specific, you know, time, you know, mar benchmarks that you had to hit time-wise if you were going to work. So we were coming up on on our option, and they were expecting us to get to work. We 
wanted to do a record partly just to do the record but also so we could get get paid and sure. um so we we sent them a letter asking them you know do you want us to start work and they came back with you know we're, we're not sure if we want to start work <laughs> and so yeah. we basically told them we would really like to be released from our contract because we don't think you know what to do with us and uh the, the head of the label called Ted and said, we're so relieved. Um, yeah, you can, you know, keep whatever we gave you and you're, you're released. You, you just tell us where to send the letter. Yes. Tell us where to send the, the seats so that we know that this contract is done. And then right. from there, we just, you know, we'd already, you know, we'd been back to working with Bill and, uh, we, uh, we had done, uh, acoustic archives we did an indie record and again put like you know a, a brutally heavy song we, we do an, an acoustic record and then put like a brutally heavy metal song at the end of it right and uh that got us back in good graces with with metal blade bill took that song to slagle and said yeah they're not doing this this you know pop rock grungy stuff anymore they want to do a metal record and so yeah, it's so, so we were with them. It's for so a funny years. that that it would have been even labeled grungy. I I just never heard any of it that, in, in my opinion, that was grungy. I I but, don't either. I mean, there, yeah, there's some different influences on that record. I mean, it, yeah, I, I heard. I a, I just heard the bluesy, the bluesy old school rock influence. Yeah, that, and it was mixed. I mean, because let's face it, that's where everything spawns from is blues. Yep. So, um, but going into microscopic. Uh, you definitely seen that yeah, the, the, the old tourniquet was coming back in its way. Um, and, and that was by design. You know, when we sat down to talk about the record, all three of us, you know, pretty much unanimously without even having discussed it, we're like, we want to we wanna make a really heavy record. There you go. It's time. Let, let's make a thrash record. Uh, ah, so, that, so it was by design. But yeah, not, but not like control. It was just like, okay, we, we did that other stuff and we like it and we're proud of it. And, you know, we got that out of our system. It's time to circle back and, and you know, give people what they they originally knew us for. That's awesome. And then by, what, a few years later, so now the Benson years are over. Yep. Uh which was only one record. <laughs> yeah. Now we now we have a home with Metal Blade, um, which at least you got to release a record with a, a mainstream CCM label because you know Word had signed Deliverance, and uh, we we did the the River Disturbance record. That's right. And then they got it, and they were like, "We have no idea what to do with this," so they shelved it, and. When when they shelved it, I mean, uh, us and 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 uh, you know me, Gene, Eugene, and Ojo were like, this can't be shelved. So uh, Ojo went to bat for me and 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 told them, you know, you know, give him his record. You know, doesn't matter how much you guys put into it, if you guys are going to just shelve it. So they gave it to me, and then Brainstorm put it out for me. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, it was so funny just they had no idea what to do. So, you know, being on a major doesn't mean anything. It just, it no. could be, it could be a more, more of a huge pain in the ass than it's worth, you know? <laughs> how, how bad does it suck when you put your heart and soul into something and then the people who liked you enough to sign you and give you money to make it tell you, we don't get you anymore and we don't, we don't know what to do with this. Oh, it that it broke my heart. The way I the way I told the A and R guy there at that time, uh, and I, I told him flat out, you guys basically took a painting that I worked very hard on, uh, and and just took the willy out and urinated all over it. Yeah, and uh, you know, just it, it, you know, saying I don't know what to do with this. It's like I don't think you guys knew what to do with a metal band anyway, because well, I mean, while River is not. I would say uh, a, a metal record in its classic way. It wasn't Deliverance, uh, old school metal, but it was certainly a metal record. Sure. Um, and, you know, by by every right. But yeah, it's just, uh, like I said, just because you make it to a major and get a huge budget and everything else, it don't mean anything. But now, so now where things start getting interesting, although, Almost every tourniquet release is interesting <laughs> in its own right, and which is great. That's what I love. 
But uh, when we go get to uh, where moth and rust destroy, yes. I always want to say where moth and rust corrupt, but uh, that that was the name of an album of a friend of mine out in Ohio, and uh, it, he he had an album actually called Where Moth and Rust Corrupt, and so I always get them confused. But uh, so this is where the it, it it's not like you, I think you guys definitely found a stride music wise it just started getting really really true tourniquet again but with another feel another vibe and at at this point was it still just you three uh by moth it was just ted and me for a while oh wow okay so you would just bring other i know bruce from uh trouble played yep. on it and bruce, you had marty played and, all the leads marty friedman yeah. yeah everything else was was basically ted Wow. Yeah, I heard Ted played a lot of guitar on a lot of the stuff. <laughs> Ted was, I mean, he's an extraordinary multi instrumentalist, yeah. that's for and, sure. Uh, I've never seen him uh, touch an instrument that he couldn't figure out how to play. You right. Know, he might not play it well, he might not play it correctly, but he, he would play it better than most of the other people in the room. Yeah, you he's know, he just, yeah, he definitely. Was, he was a complicated guy and he was he's he was super creative that he was that he was and i i gotta give it to him for that um but so we move into uh to the the, the where moth and rust destroy what were your feelings on going into this and you know because now you're you're singing seemed a little more like you were starting to challenge yourself a lot more I just, I approached all of them the same way, um, with the exception of Vanishing. Um, Vanishing, of, of all the records I've done, is the one that I, I mean, I don't really listen to my records that much anyway, but if I'm going to listen to one, that's that's the one that's the least likely to get spun. Sure. Um, only because, and I, I understand why, but it was there was so much pre-production, there was so much rehearsal, um, that there was almost zero spontaneity in the performances once i got behind the you know the mic once i was in the booth um and so it sounds very um not contrived but it, it's down it's too controlled with every other record i would show up and i had no idea how any of the songs went we would just start going wow um, and you know by the time you'd get you know, the first verse, you know, locked down and maybe the first chorus, you kind of had the feel for the rest of the song and, and you could bang it out. And I think there was an, an urgency and a, a spontaneity to that that makes those vocals sound more natural uh, yeah. in my ear. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is uh, I very rarely said, no, I can't do that. You know, I would try almost anything. So by the time we got to that record and it was like, oh, I want you to sing this or, oh, yeah, I want you to sing that. Oh, and by the way, you also have to do all the shouted vocals because there's no uh, Aaron and there's no Gary. Anymore. Right, right. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? So there were, there were some happy accidents. There's a song, Architutus, um, and there's this one line that says something about uh, countless plotted graphs. And we couldn't figure out which way we wanted to do it. And so I sang it three different ways i did you know really low guttural one i did you know uh more of a like punky one and then i did like a more straight you know metal vocal and bill accidentally played them all back at the same time <laughs> and the timing my, my timing was almost dead on on all of them so oh, that's, that's what ended up making the record it, it's this weird uh, not quite harmony, but almost harmony in three different voices that are all me. That that were right, you know, and that, we're experimenting, and the experiment ended up becoming so, a happy accident. Okay, so that wasn't a harmonizer then on Architutus. That nope. was actually three separate takes. That was three separate takes that were close enough that you know Bill didn't have to nudge him too much in tools. Wow, that was, that was the first record we did in Pro Tools, and and. And Ted couldn't wrap his head around flying stuff around, whereas yeah. I was all over it. What we can just nudge that? Awesome, cool. I don't have to sing that again. Right, right. 
Wow, that's such a di- different turn now, and then and then digital just became the standard. You know, yeah. it's so funny because what that what moth was that was two thousand three, right? Uh, two thousand, yeah, it came out in two thousand three. So we recorded that right. in late two thousand two. So now by this time, so there you've already been with 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 Tourniquet. You've been their lead singer for over what a decade now. Yeah. So, but then there's uh a pretty long like stint right between yeah. between albums what what happened there exactly um so we were signed to metal blade and it was you know an option deal the the first record was guaranteed and then the others uh you know were options so they sure. ex- exercised their option for the second record and we served notice that we wanted to do a, a third record um and they they said yes we would love to do that where should we send the check and we're like we send it here he's like cool we're giving you x and we're like wait a minute that's that's like half of what you gave us for the last record you know with the we thought the terms were this and basically part of it was because as i lay dying had blown up or this is how it's kind of explained to me as i lay dying had blown up they were metal blades priority so you know any available cash was going to as i lay dying sure but it didn't help our uh, cause that uh moth had not sold as well as microscopic and Hmm. you know some of the reasoning for that is uh you know, there was there was a little minor scandal in the music scene, and Christian Retail decided to box up uh, a bunch of metal, well, all Metal Blade product because of something right. you know, right. somebody else had said. Uh, right. Who, frankly, was never even a CCM artist. You know, I, I still I, I love this band. I don't understand why anybody was selling them in a, in a Christian bookstore, but <laughs> we we took a hit for that you know yes. we took a hit on, on sales and by that point we weren't touring we were just doing spot dates right so we had nothing to point to to say well you know we're good for it because look we we do this and that so and that uh, always that always hurts when you don't tour i mean it's it's an unfortunate formula that has been since the bands were first recorded uh is that's that's you know you've got a tour you've just got a tour because it it gets it out there in the public eye you know out of sight out of mind right yeah and i mean i I don't have a really good answer for why we didn't tour more Hmm. um uh, i would have gladly i mean did i like making the jump from you know a van to a motorhome yeah would i have loved to have made the jump from a motorhome to a bus definitely oh yeah um and but for whatever reason you know i i i still don't understand why we didn't do that you know there was resistance from some sectors and i don't understand why Um, i just i i think at that point you know it was i i and i i don't like to call them the trend bands but it just seemed like um it, it, especially what was that that's early 2000s right so right. yeah i mean you know it was kind of like if you uh were all tattooed up and buff you know you you were you were definitely gonna look cool and and didn't matter what you sounded like you just looked really cool <laughs> well, we still had a really you know vibrant you know really you know vital fan base at that yeah. point that would show up yeah, you, know, you put yes, us in the right do. market in the states. Right. You know, I mean, it, yeah, you put us in LA, you know, and, and let us play, you know, wherever Gazaris or something. Yeah, we're going to be lucky to. Well, if we played on a weekend and everybody knew, yeah, all the all the homies would come out. But if you just put sure. put us there on a week weekday and you know it's just another, another club show, nobody's going to be there. You drop us in Chicago any day of the week, but especially spring or summer. And, and we're going to have 500 to 1,000 people show up. No problem. Right. You know, you drop us in Europe. I mean, this is the, the most crazy fan story ever. We, we played, uh, remember the, the Masonic Temple in Elgin, uh, Caesar's old place? Mm-hmm. Um, we played there and we get word that there's some guy that had uh, come from Germany. So, of course, we're like, oh, we got to meet this guy, bring him backstage. It turns out he had tried to see us on previous runs when we'd been in Europe, and it didn't work out. 
And this was the only show he knew of that we were playing that year. Oh, wow. So, or that he could make. So he literally got on a plane, flew from, I I believe, uh, Berlin to Chicago, took a taxi to the venue, was there long enough to see the show, got back in a taxi and went back to the airport and flew straight back to, to Berlin. Oh wow! You know, so that's it's, the type of fans that we had out there. I, I, that's I know. I love that about Europe. I mean, I th- when we first went, and you know, we were playing to people that you know. I gosh, I flew from Paris. I flew yeah. from you know. I I flew from Greece. I flew from. It's like, and we're in Scotland, you know. And it's like, wow, really? I mean, it it just blows you away. Just uh, the 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 absolute dedication, yeah, and yeah. love. Uh, the, the first it, time we played Flavo, they didn't really want us. You know, they they were more of a you know pop festival. Yeah, very they, much. They kept getting tons and tons of demand, so they had us play there in '96. And uh, we get there, and the the promoter tells us, you know, very you know nonchalantly that they'd had their their biggest uh, opening day ticket sales and and bodies through the gate that they'd ever had at Flavo. Wow. We were playing the main stage on opening night. We were the first band up and they, they couldn't understand why they had had this big spike. So, you know, we're like, Oh, that's really cool. We're not chalking it up to us until it's getting closer to showtime and the promoters freaking out because there's so many long haired metal looking people out, (laughs) out on the field and they've not had people like that turn up before. And then, we go out and play and we were, you know, we were very conscious of time. We've been warned that they do not play around. If they give you 65 minutes, you play 65 minutes and not That's a second right. longer. That's right. So we actually played slightly shorter just to make sure that we wouldn't go over. Um, but we played, we, we tore the place up. Um, it was the biggest crowd we'd ever played to at that point. And uh, Johnny Q Public came up next. I don't know if you remember them. Uh-huh. Uh, but they, they played after us. Well, the crowd wanted an encore and they'd already rolled all the back line off. Oh, wow. So, you know, so people start booing and tearing up sod and throwing it at the stage. And then they ask oh. us, can one of you go out and say something and quiet them down? And we're like, well, you, you wouldn't give us an encore. This is kind of your mess. So no. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. It, it took Johnny Q public, like, like two or three songs to finally get the crowd uh, back under control and to not hate them. Oh, wow. So Ted speaks at Metal Meltdown in the UK a year or two later. And uh, the singer from Johnny Q was on the panel. And when he got up to do his presentation, he said if he's learned anything from all of his time in bands, all his years of touring, if you play a festival with Tourniquet, play first. (laughs) You know, that's honestly, I'm kind of shocked that uh, they didn't have Johnny Q play play first over you guys because uh, what when, when did you guys play flavor uh the first time was 96 and then they didn't have us back for six years wow that's just that's just crazy yeah i i, I mean because johnny q didn't really have it that what like two or three records i think but. i think they did two but that first record blew up really big i mean they had major label interest and you know they were they were the hot act on both yeah. sides of the pond that year so you know yeah. and, and honestly they were probably you know shifting way more units than we were yeah but you know and again they were taking a risk putting a metal band up and i don't think they thought anybody would show up yeah that that makes that makes sense well you know we definitely know your your history is huge and and with with tourniquet but i hear a lot of rumors and some new things happening and uh i hear you and and uh some of the the like lanier and and uh mendez and you guys are all getting together and doing a new thing is is this true um we there's been talk um you know uh, gary and guy did a record last year uh they have a new uh outfit called flood Um, oh okay yeah and it's it's reminiscent of some of the 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 OG tourniquet stuff, stop the bleeding, you know, type of stuff, uh, but a little bit more modern. Um, Gary did a solo record that uh, I sang on a track for a couple years back, and we've discussed doing more. Um, we're actually we were we were in the process of trying to gear up to you know start writing and getting some stuff going. 
when Flood kind of blew up. So he immediately threw everything into them doing the follow-up to the Flood record. But yeah, all all different combinations of us uh, would like to work together, but um, none of us are idle. Uh, I put out a, a... uh, well, you, I, I put out a record in 2018, and I'm right. Right, to exactly. That. that, and I wanted to, I wanted to get to that. Uh, wanted to hear about the the rumors, but let let's talk about let's talk about your solo record. So I'd wanted to do a solo thing for a long time, and uh, for a while I was afraid to bring it up because the the vibe was kind of uh, similar to Metallica. You're either you know in the band or you're not in the band. Why do you need to play outside? Um, but I finally, I, I want to say it was, it was probably right after Moth came out. Aaron had just rejoined the band. Um, so we were, we were playing shows for Moth. And I, I told Ted, I want to do a solo thing. I've been doing some demos and I want to do a solo thing. And he wasn't um, ecstatic. Uh, he didn't tell me I couldn't do it, uh, sure. but he wasn't ecstatic about it. Um, but he did ask me to wait until we did the next tourniquet record, which we had no way of knowing that it was going to be like, you know, eight years. So, <laughs> you know, so I honored that and, and kept, you know, you know, s- sketching away, doodling away, you know, on new songs. Um, and his other thing, he was concerned. He didn't. He didn't want me to do anything that was going to make you know us as as a unit look bad. Um, which you know that that was that goes without saying. I wouldn't have done anything sure. to undermine that. Right. But um, it wasn't like you were going to do a country western record. Or- no. Well, but I mean, it was just as bad. I wanted to do more of you know. It, it's similar to you. You you know. You you've done the metal thing, but you're also you know a huge Bowie fan, and and you love you know Daniel Amos, and you know you you right. you're not just you know Deliverance. You're you know there's there's more depth to you than that. There's more sure. you know. Um, I'm the same way. I mean, like I said earlier, I grew up wanting to be John Bon Jovi. Right. And, you know, I I would be you know backstage before shows. You know, if I wasn't you know woodshedding to make sure I remember all the lyrics early on you know i was most likely listening to bon jovi or extreme or you know i was i was i i love i just love music if it's a good song it's a good right. song i love right. i love more i say that all i love the time. bowie i love you know uh i love loretta lynn you know i, mm-hmm. I just i like if it's a well-written song i'll give it a shot a good so, song is a good song. Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't matter who does it. You know, people. I hear people. You know, bag on Taylor Swift. Why did you bag on Taylor Swift? She's right. written so many hits. Maybe right. she's not the world's greatest singer, but who else is going to sing those songs and sell them like she does? She's exactly. You know, up to a point, she was amazing. Um, so yeah, I wanted to do more of a you know a, a hard rock power pop type of thing. So. When we parted ways at the end of 2015, um, it was it was hard. Uh, I didn't see that. I, I didn't anticipate it. The, the press release said it was mutual. Um, the reality is that I was told, "Here's a press release. We're going to put this out. You're not the singer anymore." Ah, um, uh, yeah. So I was going to quit. I wasn't going to do music at all um, because I was I was that um, blindsided and and that. Um, yeah, it's a little devastating. It's a little blow. Yeah, it broke me a little bit. You know, sure. like, well, maybe I'm not very good. Um, but my 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 good friend Chris, who uh, plays guitar on my records and uh, produces me, um, he's like, dude, that's that's nonsense. We're gonna dig up those demos. We're gonna pick some uh, and start working on them. And and you're gonna write a couple more. And we've been talking about trying to do a rock record since high school, and then. He went off and, and played uh, Hawaiian music, and I went off and joined a metal band. And so, <laughs> um, you know, we finally came back together, and it's like, you know, what what are we going to do? Like, okay, let's do this. And, you know, Butch Walker was kind of our North Star. And, you know, if we were in a jam and couldn't figure out what to do, we'd say, you know, what would Butch do? And, you know, and, and that the, the result of that was the pop disaster, which came out in, in 2018. Nice, nice. Now, how was that received? Um, very well, actually. I mean, I crowdfunded the the budget and uh, and came in, you know, over budget. 
not by a ton, but still, you know, I was shocked that, that anybody backed it. Um, but I mean, the, the title of the record was was kind of tongue in cheek because I was sure. afraid that nobody was going to support it. And then when they did, I was afraid nobody was going to like it. And so I figured, <laughs> you know, if I kind of make a, a backhanded, you know, joke at my own expense, you know, then what's the worst anybody else can say? Um, but no, it was, right. it was actually very well received. Um, it, it's funny, though. I mean, it, I've been out of that band. I mean, well, the, the band is defunct now, um, but... I was out. I've been out of that band since December of 2015, and I still encounter people online who have no idea that I'm not that I've not been part of that band for you know what seven years. Wow. Um, so, you know, that's those same people have no idea that I've done a solo thing. So it's it's kind of weird because I've got my little audience for it. You know, I've got people that love it, um, but I've still got you know a long way to go to make people aware that you know i can write music by myself and uh you know i can put together a good crew to to play those songs and and that there's more to me than metal right and, and you had you had some good players on there what uh, you had what uh, dave bach and yep. tim gaines and um yeah, yeah i believe uh the the guy from disciple correct yeah uh, yeah, so, yeah, so you know that, that well, I mean, and Jesse Sprinkle, we can't forget Jesse Sprinkle. Can't forget Jesse Sprinkle, good He's old magic, good good old uh, demon hunter and <laughs> Lou, right? Um, well, that dude, that is awesome. So, any now we're we're wrapping up here. Any anything on the horizon right now? Um, so I put out a, a single last summer called Mystery and uh i'm i'm just writing right now i actually met with chris recently and uh we're hopefully going to start recording hopefully before the end of the year and uh do a a full people keep referring to the pop disaster as an album and to me it's an ep it was an ep yeah seven tracks but um you know i want to do a full length you know 10 12 songs um it'll probably be It'll still be power pop slash hard rock, but it'll probably be leaning a little bit more into the the hard rock side of it. Um, but yeah, hopefully that'll be out uh, spring, summer next year. Ah, oh, beautiful. So yeah. We've, so we've got more Luke Easter. You're not done. You're 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 I, doing I, your thing. <laughs> I will do it until I can't do it anymore. And if nobody wants to listen, I will still probably sit on the couch with a guitar and drive my wife up a wall. There you go, man. <laughs> she says she loves it. I don't see how she can. Cause I mean, so, but when other people play my songs and I hear the playback, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that sounds like that's a, that's a song that like sounds good. Yeah. But when I demo it, it's like, this is the worst thing ever. <laughs> oh, but that's, that's, that's par for the course when you're writing and when you're yeah. doing your thing, you know, <laughs> it's also, a, it's a referendum on my limitations as a player. Oh, that's, uh, it's all good, man. That did your, your instrument is your voice, man. And, and you've got a great one. So thank you. Well, that means a lot coming from you. Well, Luke, I've enjoyed having you on here. I hope that you would join me again for another podcast. Oh, totally. Um, and, uh, and, and I hope that our listeners, uh, you know, I've got, I've got a great listening base, uh, here on the fractured brain. And I just, uh, hope that they've enjoyed, uh, getting to know a little more about Luke Easter today and that there's a lot more to you that, uh, meets the eye than just tourniquet <laughs> and that there's a lot more there. And so I'm excited to hear more coming from you. And uh, definitely, we're, we're going to go ahead and uh, just wrap it up. And just if you have something you'd like to say we in this last minute. I, I just want to thank everybody that's uh, supported me over the years and who's still interested in, in what I have to say and what I'm doing. And uh, I'm just thankful to, to everybody that, that I play with and, and work with. And, and yeah, I mean, if you told me when I was 22 that I would be, you know, my age now and still be doing it and that there'd still be people interested in it and talking about me, I would have been shocked. So, uh, I'm thankful for, for all of it. I don't take any of it for granted and I'm I'm just happy to be here. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Luke. And, uh, I look forward to having you on again. Thank Thank you so much. 
thanks so much for joining me today. And thank your wife for lending you for these few minutes with us. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. You've awesome. been listening to The Fractured Brain with Luke Easter. Luke Easter.